0: There was a time I was so afraid So scared To do What I wanted In looking back I can see All the mistakes that I made And I wish that I Talk to me and tell me I can change. Don't be afraid. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. This is Monica Richardson, and I am your host. It has been three months since I have done a show. It's been a busy time. You needed to take a little break, get a little downtime from the shows. Uh, I've done, I think, some 270 shows or something like that. Uh, today, we are going to do a show with a new friend of mine calling in from Michigan. Her name is Angela. And we're going to talk about how we can stop court ordering people to Alcoholics Anonymous. This is a, a sort of a tri, tri-webbed sort of thing, how people are coming to AA. One is if you get a DOI or a DWI, you're going to get sent to AA either by the judge or by that class that you're going to be sent to. Um, the second way is if you're a violent offender or a sex offender, they're going to use it. The lawyers use it as a way to get you out of jail. And it's worked many times, as we've seen with many fatal killings like the Carla Brata case and uh, even the Tracy White case. There's many, many that I've listed on my Leaving AA blog. I want to plug my film. It's the 13 Step to Film. It's out on Amazon, a 52-minute version. Vimeo version is a little bit longer. I like that version better. But they're pretty, uh, pretty affordable. 1.99 to rent it on Vimeo, and it's free if you have Amazon Prime, and it's pretty cheap there too. Uh, okay, so we want to start some activism going on here, and this is the reason why I've asked uh, Angela to come on so quickly. I've only, you know, known her for a few weeks in the groups. I want to do a little plug for the groups for support. If you've left AA or think about leaving AA, and um, there's, of course, the Leaving AA blog, but there's a Facebook group called Leaving AA. One is a community, one is a group. Um, Groups are better in a way because you can start your own conversation in a group or in a community. It's kind of in control of the admin. Now, if you've already left and you want to help deprogram, we have a thing called deprogramming from AA or any 12-step group. I have a Make a Safer group. um, If you're still in it and you want pamphlets and you want to help make it safer, Uh, that's a place that would be good for you. And then there's, um, if you've been forced there as a pilot nurse or a doctor, uh, we say say no to um, AA for DUI or any coercion for professionals. I don't know, I think I have too many groups, but anyway. And with all that, I I am going to bring on Angela right now. Hi, Angela. Hi, Monica. How are you? Can you hear me? I can. It sounds really good. I am good.
1: fine. This is my first yeah. time on a podcast, and I'm really happy to be here um, talking oh. about this important subject.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad to have you on. It seems like you know some people come into the groups and they just need to talk or they just need to vent, and then other people come in and they really want to make some change. And uh, so with you, I could see that was the way. And um, so if you want to just give us the background um As vague as you want uh, for your own privacy, just a little bit of background about yourself and um, what brought you into the deprogramming group, maybe. If you could start with that.
1: Well, um, I am 51 years old. I'm not afraid to say my age. (laughs) And I was a member of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous since I was 21 years old. And so um, I, I was a member for a long time. Um, and, um, you know, I saw, I saw the fellowship, uh, and things happen in the fellowship that I did not like and actually frightened me, um, frustrated me. And there were some other personal issues I had, um, within the fellowship. And I have been sober for, uh, uh, 14 years since my last strength, but twenty four years in my whole lifetime,
2: mm-hmm. so well, um time. I mm-hmm.
1: have a really really good therapist, and um I just I had enough really to tell you the truth
0: right right, yeah,
1: and so i well, saw, I saw your movie um I saw your movie and and I watched it, and I could identify with your movie a lot, and mm-hmm. I reached out to you. Um, because I really related to what you were trying to say. And I personally um, seen a lot of the things that were in your movie happen within my, my groups that I was part of.
2: Wow. Um,
1: and it, the fellowship is uh, it's just not, it's not the same for me. It does. It, it just, it doesn't work for me anymore. And I hate to say this, but I, it's like I stopped believing it in it. Mm-hmm. Um and so when you stop believing in something then it's it's time for you to really look at um what what your beliefs are and um but I I do think that there's changes that they can make with NAA to make it safer for people.
2: Mhm. Yeah, totally. It's, it's
1: not mm-hmm. I, I came in at 1988 was my my first meeting out in Wayne County, Michigan. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, back then, when you got in trouble, they sent you to alcohol awareness classes. You did some community service, maybe some jail time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I saw the change probably, uh, I would say, around 2000, between 2000 and 2005, Uh it seemed like, at least say that there is a group of thirty-five people. I would say one third were court ordered to be there. Yeah, that's a lot. And that's that's a that's a big change. Right, right. Um, I don't want to overtalk you because I can I can talk a lot about this subject. Um, I just got off the phone with a, a person from Lansing, and mm-hmm. um, he's. I know people that are very involved in a in um, the area that I live in, and I know the people that are involved regionally and and the district people. Um, I personally was the treasurer of of my group for eight years, so yeah. maybe that's the reason why I know these people. But I,
0: right.
1: I have, I've also been around for a long time, mm-hmm. and so I made some phone calls because I know I'm not the only one that was concerned about this subject. Mm-hmm. And I talked to a gentleman um, in Lansing, and um, he was very concerned. He, uh, he made a report of, he, he, he said it was about a year study of AA in the court system mm-hmm. and what they are doing in Michigan and how wow. it's affecting the groups. hmm he said that the report was over a hundred pages long and mm-hmm. he sent it into New York. hmm And New York actually made um a sub subcommittee of people mm-hmm. to look at this report and they're supposed to be getting back with him around July.
0: Okay, so I won't hold my that, breath that's
1: but that's <laughs> not okay. I mean that, that <laughs> things that he pointed out, which which I saw, is that you know our uh, the the fellowship, and you have to. When I say ours, even though I I I I left AA, you know it hasn't been that long, so my language still can be sounding like you know I am still in in the program.
0: Yeah. So, um, yeah. you knew. new. How long has it been? It's been a month or two months or. Or a year? It's
1: been uh, it's been about five weeks for me. Oh
0: my God! Yeah, so five it is weeks. really soon. Yeah, five weeks. So it it is very very recent. But I do think that it's very important. People who are in some of the groups who don't want me to bother, or you know, or any of us to bother to make it safe, they want it to just implode. And I said, well, you know, regardless of whether I what I feel about it, um, I think it has to be made safe, and people need to be warned until the world decides whether they still want this thing or not, or will they will move on to smart recovery, harm reduction, and the use of medically-assisted treatment and trained therapists who are now, many of them, a whole generation has been trained in addiction uh, treatment, you know, that are one-on-one. It's not like, oh, I'm an AA member, and so now I've got my degree and I'm going to come and charge you for a session, but we're, we're just going to really do AA. I mean, there is a whole generation in their 30s that have studied and it can provide this as well as a medically-assisted detox from even just alcohol. So besides the fact of whether or not AA will remain or not, until it, while it's still here, I'm with you, that I want the court ordering to stop for multiple reasons. One is that it has changed the dynamic and ruined the atmosphere in meetings for the people who still want to go that are decent, good people. Number two, they're sending dangerous people, violent offenders, that are getting out, uh, going to AA instead of going to jail when they have domestic violence cases. And if we were to bring on the shooting incidences that have happened, half of them, I was listening to a study, are related to domestic violence charges. Now, I don't know why judges want to let these guys out instead of have them serve time. Right, when someone does a domestic violence charge, but that's half. And I know for a fact all of them are sent to Alcoholics Anonymous. They are all sent there. Now, I used to think that, okay, some of them were, but like nine years later in my investigations, it's like really sickening how many. That's that's the path they choose. And then, you know, the other part is the part that's probably really new to you, and you can tell me if it is or not, but it is something that I'm very passionate about stopping, is the pilots, nurses, and doctors. Because these professionals have been sent to AA since the 70s against their will, or some of them, okay, they, they do it and they don't mind, but the, they're sent against their will, and not only do they have to go, but they are made to believe in the beliefs and the ideology of Alcoholics Anonymous, or you will not fly, you will not be a nurse, and you will not practice medicine. That is a crime, actually. It's called extortion. The coercion is what happens when you get the DUI, and it's like, oh, we'll just pick a meeting. And they they make it sound like it's a benign thing. Well, what if you're a Muslim? Or what if you're an, an atheist or a Buddhist? And then you go to a meeting, and I know, you know, my friends, my son's kid, I mean, my... My children's friends um, in West L.A. say, you know, a lot of people got DUIs here. And they were shocked to find out. They thought it was a government agency. Why wouldn't they think it? They said to me, I was sent there by the courts. Now, I want you to talk about the very interesting thing that you and this man are talking about, how the courts, this this kind of uh, conflicts with AA's traditions. We want to talk about that and the politics
2: Okay, really
0: so
1: something. there was so much that we talked about, and we could both i i really identify with what we were talking about because we had been in AA for so long. Right. Um, if you go back to if you go back to our traditions of AA, and the reason why they they made these traditions is so people could work together as a group, and outside influences would not go into the AA structure. Mm -hmm. They did not want any kind of organized religion or politic or organization to be Mm -hmm. involved because then they thought it would muddle up what they were trying to do. Right. And so they made these traditions. And the simple fact of that they are going against what the traditions are. You know, we're, we're not supposed to be, um, in the in the traditions, um, there is one tradition, and um, I, I'm a little nervous, I'm sorry. Oh, that's um,
0: okay, you're just talking about the one a, that's your, co- you're supposed to have the a desire like, to stop drinking, right? Is that the one you're,
1: yeah, you're referring yeah. to? Yes. Well, the only requirement for AA membership is the desire to stop drinking. That's the third tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, and the 10th tradition is AA Alcoholics Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the AA may never be drawn into controversy. That's unfortunately what they use to not comment about what the courts are doing. But the other tradition that, that is breaking is they are not supposed to um, have any um, AA Ought not to endorse finance or lend the AA name. um, Yeah. Which happens with a lot of rehabs.
0: Right, that's happening already with a lot of rehabs. Mm -hmm. And it's not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, which is the preamble that's read at every meeting. Like it's gospel. Exactly. Which it's not. Which it's not. And so you have a lot of AA members, like myself, a decent, good person, who is really brainwashed into when you heard that, because when you hear something over and over again, you believe it's the truth that we didn't actually know what was going on outside. So say, oh, I know a lot of women. I mean, I had 36 years when I left, and there were a lot of women with over 20, 25 years in that group who actually only went to that one meeting a week. One meeting, insulated, nice group of 40 ladies, you know, talking about what was going on that week. And, you know, if somebody came in and started hammering those steps too much, we were like, yeah, yeah, well, let's talk about reality. Like, it was not a hardcore group. Um, So it was... Uh, which is what made it sane for me uh, up in, you know until maybe the last year. But um, the point is, is that the stuff that's read in the preamble, and it was really weird how when you started talking about this with this AA man who made a report about the courts about how it's in a violation, that it's political to be involved with the courts. And, yes, they yes. Are so, and they're so like, uh, they've been like, it's almost like if you took your two hands, you know, and you just kind of made a prayer. You know, old school style where those little hands came, fingers come down. They are just so entwined. And I want to tell you, I don't know what happened in Michigan, but here in 1990 was the year when drug court began. And um, that was the year my son was born. So I really pulled away from AA. And I pulled away until I went through a divorce and kind of thought, oh, let me see, you know, maybe go to a meeting on the weekend or something. And
2: I was horrified
0: at what I saw. And I had no idea about the level of court ordering. And dumping of people. So, from 1990, uh, the divorce happened in 98. There's eight years of dumping. And mm-hmm. 1989 mm-hmm. was the first drug court that happened in Florida. California was the second state. Um, but it's a very big. Uh, uh, it's bad here. So, what's it like in Michigan? Do you know the year that drug court began there?
1: Well, I live. I live in an area that is uh, outside. Uh, outside a major city. Um, uh-huh. When I first when I first moved here was 1987. Yeah. Um, and I remember the first meeting I went out here because I used to live uh, in Wayne County. In Wayne County they had a big book and when I went to my first meeting they gave me a book and I it was the size of like a card. And I said, oh, is this for this church, this group? Uh-huh. Yeah. They said, no, uh, that. That is uh, Livingston County. I said, really? Now the book is probably five times the size. So we went wow. from having a handful of meetings in the last 20 years to having 60. Now that's a big growth. There's right. a lot more people that moved in in the county I live in now. So, of course, more people. There's going to be more meetings created. Um, I saw a change From the time that um, Wayne County was very, very popular in AA and NA. And I saw personally a change, like I said, around 2000. That's Mm -hmm. what this gentleman told me too, that he started to see a really big change, where a third of the people that were coming into um, A.A. were court-ordered. And he also right. mentioned, the 11th tradition, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather right. than promotion.
2: That's I want to right. talk
1: about that a little bit. That's a good um, point. Anyone that knows anything about the history of uh, Bill and Bob, the founders of A.A., I was thinking about this today, and uh, I remember when when they first got together – And they found talking one alcoholic to another alcoholic help for them. And they found strength within each other, that each other within each other, they could stay sober. Alone, they found it hard to do.
2: But Uh together,
1: they found strength in that. So what they did was they started to go on the streets and try to promote what they had learned within themselves, they said, Hey, we can save all these people from an alcoholic life. So they started to go on the streets and they would see people that were, you know, what they would call bums back in those days. Um, And they started to try to convince them that their way was the right way. And they could stay sober if they did it what they were doing. And what happened was they had no one stayed sober. They stayed sober, but no one wow. else did. Right, and right. so they had to look at that. They had to wow. look at what they wow, were doing. Wow, wow. They, mm-hmm. they had to look at the method that they were doing, and what they were doing is they were promoting um, the AA right. program.
0: Right. They right. were
1: not attracting the AA program. They were promoting it. They were saying, look, it, this is what I have. You want this too, and they found out within themselves that unless a person has a desire, and that's where they got that sort of tradition from, a desire to stop drinking, you cannot force a person to stop drinking. I always say, someone can't make me drink, and someone can't make me not drink. It's it's within the person,
0: and they have right. to. Right now, to I want to say this. Right. I mean, so it's really, really a good point. But I wanted to say this because this is something I know now that I certainly didn't when I was an AA member, and I was the type of uh, drinker that when I wanted to stop, I just stopped. Um, it was there. Were, uh, but the point I want to make now: there are people, and this is where I think AA really faults itself now, uh, because there are other ways to. Uh, to stop or alter or reduce the harm from your drinking. And um, that would be, um, there are people who have a desire to stop, and they can't. And they can't on their own, and they don't want to go to AA. And so they can use a thing called MAT, which is medically assisted treatment, which has been used for years, whether you're going to use Librium um, during the day and sleep medication for the night to get you through what could kill you, and you can die from alcohol withdrawal could have a seizure you can have a heart attack Mm -hmm. you can try doing um stopping completely all at once like amy winehouse did which killed her she needed medication which is very dangerous to do that's right it is so on the point i mean i agree with everything you're saying except i'm adding to what you were saying that there are people who have a desire to stop who go there and try everything desperately and this is the thing that really made me mad about aa in the end once I knew about these other modalities and we're getting off topic but I want to I do that you know a lot of times we'll just going to go for a couple minutes on this that once I found out that there were other programs like real programs like smart recovery is a very very valid program is a cognitive behavioral therapy they have face to face meetings they're run by a trained leader, they're set up like pods, like AA meetings, you know, you can go to them, except that they have training, their leaders are trained, they have sexual harassment policy, they have other things, and they have like a booklet that to me makes, you know, talking about urges, and how do you uh, deal with your urges, and, um, you know, just a lot more things that are in the big book that are from this century, like Smart was created 25 years ago, AA 80 years ago, so There's harm reduction, there's moderation management, there's women for sobriety, there's life ring, um, there's SOS. And those are these groups, right, that are not as big as AA, but still that doesn't matter. If someone has a desire to stop drinking and goes to a meeting and it fails, they get beaten up. They get told they need to do this more and that more, And well, because you didn't do this Mm -hmm. and you don't want it enough. And that's not true. And that's where a lot of people die. And um, so the point that I have, and when I went back to AA in the last year that I was going and I went a few times and I said this, that if you really care about the still-suffering alcoholic, like you say in your book, then when some when this is not working over and over, instead of being mean, you could educate yourself and say, you know what? There are other things out there. We're not the only place. We are not the last house on the block. There's medication. There's... Um, so just like I said, the whole list of things. And there is a real, uh, what is the word when, you, when you're when you in the, this bubble? A people, including myself, yeah. were in a bubble that, I mean, I didn't even know they existed. And SMART had existed for 20, I think 18 years when I left. 18 years. And I said somebody, yeah. a judge, when I was talking to a judge uh, a couple of years ago about this, he said, well, you know, there's like AA meetings like, on every corner, like McDonald's. And I said, well, guess what? A lot of us don't eat McDonald's anymore, and we don't want it. We want health, healthy food, fresh food. I want a, you know, a green juice, or I want a really delicious cup of coffee, not that crap, or whatever. But he got it. Just because there's a lot of something, it doesn't mean it's any good.
1: Well, one size does not fit all. Right. And, you know, it just doesn't. And to think that AA is the only only way that a person is going to be able to Get sober is just ridiculous. I know right. for myself, as uh, as a person that has found a way not to drink. You now, a lot of people would say, "Well, was it because you went to AA?" And I'd say, "Well, wait a minute. There's a lot of things that I did other than going to AA. Um, I've always believed in therapy. Mm-hmm. Personally, I yeah, I've been to too. therapy." Mm-hmm for for my family issues for years, and I still go to therapy today. There mm-hmm. were things that I had to look at that had nothing to do with Alcoholics Anonymous or even the 12 Steps that I had to bring to a professional. Um, mm-hmm. I had mm-hmm. to have a professional be able to look at. I really had more than just one professional. I had a doctor for uh-huh. a, a therapy doctor for my family issues. And then I also had a doctor I worked with for my depression. Uh-huh. Now, neither one of those doctors were from AA, went to AA. We didn't talk about AA. It had uh-huh. nothing to do with AA. So what worked for me was I had to treat everything individually but at the same time. So I had to treat my depression Along yeah. with my alcoholism, I had to treat my family issues along with my depression. If I tried to put everything in just that AA box, it wouldn't have worked for me. I I couldn't understand why. I just you know, and I would get beat up too. Like oh, maybe I wasn't sponsoring enough people, or maybe I didn't do this or do that, and. And you know maybe I didn't give my whole life to AA, and and, you know Uh because I wanted uh family time. So I was beat up in different ways too. And what I had to do is I had to really think about, you know, I am not like the person sitting next to me. I have different issues than they do, and one size doesn't fit all. And so when I really when I realized in my 30s that I did have depression. Mm-hmm. I, out, I sought out help for my depression.
0: And it that's wasn't
1: good. through someone sitting next to me in an AA meeting.
0: It right. was through
1: right. a psychiatrist. Yeah, good and for you. I I was on medication, which AA rhymes about, but I haven't been on medication for over a decade, and I have not had depression since 2002. So, you know, that's that great. says a lot. Yeah,
2: that's, that's right. It that
1: says a lot. Uh-huh. And I know that sometimes, and I, you know, that they frown upon, um, they some members frown upon seeking help like that. But in the literature that they give to us to read, they say that doctors and psychiatrists have helped the alcoholic. So, you know, I I do believe that it, there is more than one way to find a way to stop drinking. And then I also believe that there's people that are sent there that, you know, I, I can't tell if a person is an alcoholic or isn't an alcoholic. That is something that they have to find within themselves. Um, but I know there's certain signs of it, you know, and um, I've, I've met people that were sent into AA that happened to have three glasses of wine with their family at dinner driving home. And right. they got pulled over for speeding, and they didn't press past that breathalyzer. And because they were upstanding citizens and wanted to do everything the court said to do, they came into AA because that's what the court told them to do,
2: uh-huh.
1: and uh, so I've met people like that too. And I've also met people that, frankly, scared me. And I've known people that, personally, there was someone in our county that that got murdered and and put in a swamp,
0: and really from
1: a, a of a violent offender. It happened back in 2008, and uh, she was about 40 years old. I didn't know this lady for very long because she was new, he wasn't new, and he got put in jail the rest of his life for it. So there's there's scary situations that even in my little town, and I can't imagine, you know, not that Los Angeles is... Is a scary town, but you have a lot more meetings, a lot more population out there. So I'm yeah. sure that you have a lot more incidences than we do out here. But even out here, to know that that happened not too long ago, and you just never know who you're sitting by.
0: Yeah, that's really scary. So he, I was just putting together like a packet of. You know, horror stories, I call them, right? And these are ones that... Uh, these are newspapers all across the country that have stories of either sexual... Whether it was rape, so I'm dividing them up in rape stories, and then there's the murders, all right, and the court mm-hmm. orders, and then the reporters have all vetted that uh, 99% of the stories that I have that I'm putting in this packet are um, have Alcoholics Anonymous in the storyline, so they've vetted that. Now, I know... For a fact, like there's a couple stories where they call it substance abuse classes, or they're they'll they'll frame it another way, but they're ninety nine percent they're talking about AA meetings, or they call them AA classes, and we're like, there's no such thing as an AA class, you know? I mean, unless you're in rehab, right? But that's so sad um, about that woman that you just talked about, Uh, and yeah, there are. I think in LA, like you know, we had a couple of stories in the last couple of years coming out of Santa Clarita where Carla Brata's, uh story was from and these they were young um young men who uh they were in supposed recovery going to AA and he raped and murdered his his infant. It's in two stories like this like out here well, like it's that un so disgusting like so un I, I can't even imagine um, being in that uh, courtroom that day. Like I just and I watched the video of the mother of of the son and um she just looked like a grotesque AA woman. Like she just looked like one of those stepper mothers I call them. You know, there's some really nasty people in AA. and there's some really nice people. But there's some really nasty like they're like to me they were people I was not friends with. They were those strange people that probably need to be on medication that they are either serious, uh, borderline, or bipolar, mentally ill people mm-hmm. that are untreated, sitting in there with a lot of time, and think that because they have a lot of time, that whole time thing, you know, I, I have time, so I, I know more. But you were going to say something. And,
1: well, you know, it reminded me, that story reminded me of the Carla Barada story, a lot. when I watched your, When I watched your movie, it reminded me, um, and the reason why it reminded me is because she was she was very new, she yeah. hadn't been around AA before, and um, he wasn't. He was in and out, in and out, in and out, and right. you know he thought, wow, you know, it, sometimes you know there's a lot of people that go into the meetings not just looking for uh, uh, a way to stay sober some people mm-hmm. are are looking for uh someone to hook up with they're right. looking for someone to uh influence so they can get money from them yes. um, mm-hmm. you know i i had a friend of mine and and uh he passed away from parkinson his name was Craig and i was very close to him and his wife and uh mm-hmm. he was from up north and he he came here and he went to he went to treatment here and then he was in uh, uh aftercare and then i i met him at meetings and uh you know they always say you, you especially when you're in um a house um like a halfway house a sobriety uh-huh. house uh-huh. they force you to get a sponsor without even knowing your sponsor i mean without uh-huh. feeling out and, and knowing who the person is you have to get a sponsor within a certain amount of time. So he was, he told he had to have a sponsor within within a week. So he got a sponsor. <laughs> oh, my God. And uh, he, he got a sponsor, and he called me up, and, uh, you know, he had relapsed, and when he relapsed, his sponsor convinced him to write him a check for $5,000. Oh, my God. And I said, well, Craig, you know, did you say something? Because the next day, the only reason why he even realized he did it was because the next day he looked at his checkbook and there was a check for $5,000 made out to his sponsor. And his sponsor said, well, it's your fault for drinking,
0: because oh if you weren't God.
1: drinking, you wouldn't have wrote me that check.
0: Wow. Well.
1: So I didn't know what to say to him other than go to your bank and stop payment on that check and don't let. And he had such shame about using again, uh, um, that he didn't well. he didn't even want to stop that check because of his own shame of using again. And I said, there, you know, to be. Put in that situation where you don't even know what you're doing and you're writing a check in a blackout, you know you should not have shame about that. I mean, I know that you have remorse for drinking again, but that does not mean someone gets to sort money from you
0: did he and, that's horrible. Did, did he ever like you know tell the, the group and go to the police about him no, the fact he I was, didn't. Doing it. was he a no was he that didn't. his game? Was that his game? Because uh, we know there are guys like that in the Hollywood uh, men's stag meeting.
1: Um, No, Mm -hmm. you know, I I tried to convince him to go to the the house leader, they called it, you know, the person that leads the house that he was at to tell what happened. But he just, because of his own shame and his own guilt of drinking, he just wouldn't do it. And so what happened was that trust was broke. Right, and once you have that trust broke, I don't know if you can really look at people of of reaching out. I know that he never got a sponsor ever again, and Craig mm-hmm. died yeah. from Parkinson's disease. Oh, he did sad. not die from alcoholism; he died from Parkinson's yeah. disease. But yeah. I was his friend. I was. I still talk to his wife, Lucy. Um, Uh we still send Christmas cards to each other. She came down here to visit my husband and my daughter, um, when she was in the area and, um, you know, he trusted me and I was glad that he trusted me because I did not want anything from him other than Uh to see him be happy in his life. And I, I can't say that other members are like that. Now, You know, I'm not trying to scare people, but you have to realize that, you know, AA is not a hotbed of mental health all the time. They're just not. There's a lot of things that go on that people, because of their their own shame or guilt or even feeling like they did something, because the program kind of tells you, to look at your side of whatever it yeah, is it's
0: always yeah, so it's always you. What's your part in it? What's it's your part always in you. it's always so it you. It's
1: something mm-hmm. it's something that you must have done to put mm-hmm. yourself in that situation and they really pound that into you. So if a if a woman, for instance, has a cup of coffee with a guy and he and he takes advantage of of her then mm-hmm. they turn that around and they make it seem like, well, you had the cup of coffee with the guy, must have been your fault. <laughs> Sorry,
2: it reminds but... <laughs> me of,
1: of when they would say, like a woman would get raped, it must have been the way she was dressing.
2: Right, right. I mean, right, that's right. what
1: that mentality reminds me of, Monica.
0: Yeah, it's it's really, it's 1950s, it's It's really like Mad Men era, 50s, 60s, you know, uh, I'm sure it went on later, but it was not as uh, politically, like that kind of, the AA is still filled with a lot of victim blaming, like I said, the women's meeting that I went to, there was no victim blaming there, Um, there were some young women, though, who gave some very bad advice to the young girl who, Callie, who began to do all the make a safer work with me, she was 20, early 20s. She had a sponsor who was 30, who totally victim blamed her. And when she came to our group, we were like, "Uh uh-uh, you know, he's a motherfucking 13-stepper, and he's the asshole, and you're a victim. And my husband and I were there to help her when he came back for his stuff. We were, like, sitting on her bed in her little studio. (laughs) That was a great experience, (laughs) She had put all his stuff in a bag and threw it out and um, had another bag in her room. And uh, Kevin and I went over there just to support her. And we just sat, um, you know, there in her studio while she slammed the door in his face. And uh, But, you know, a lot of this predation, it, it is combination of money and sex. Like they might get in there, certain type of guys, like this kid had, the guy, he wasn't a kid, uh, a 30-year-old or something, or late 20s. He had nine years. And no job. And she had, mm-hmm. two, she had two jobs. So it was sex to get in the door, and then you pay for me now. You pay I mean, like you, my yeah, way. you
1: exploit them for, for what they have financially. And this is something that me and that gentleman from Lansing talked about. So when you have people that are coming in court-ordered, what you have is you have someone that might not have the desire to stop drinking, They might be coming in with a lot of animosity. Mm -hmm. Um, It changes the atmosphere. And then for the people that really want to be there, they really want to embrace the 12 steps. They think it works for them, and they want to help the other new people coming in the door. And what happens is it sets up almost like, well, it sets up fear and frustration, but it also sets up, like, I don't even know if I should be working with this newcomer, because they don't want to be here, they do not want to be here, they are forced to be here, and I hate to say this, but, you know, it's kind of like AA made their own bed, I, I, you know, they they should have stood up for what they believed in. The reason why they made these traditions in the first place, Monica, was so all this other stuff would not get involved, that they would help other alcoholics. They wouldn't have any other kind of uh, political or uh, community get involved in what they were trying to do. So people do not. They don't like the atmosphere of it. They're scared of it. They see it changing around them.
2: And right. so
1: what you see is you see longtime members like myself uh-huh. see what's going on,
2: uh-huh.
1: and they're frustrated. They don't think they can change it. They are afraid of even trying to even change the situation because AA is not looking at it like they should. And they're just walking away, and right. I think that's the reason why. Um, this gentleman did this study so he can point out that they're losing long time members. And pretty soon, it's what you're just going to have it be like court ordered AA is that what it's going to be? Because yeah. if you have a third right now that are court ordered, and they are forced to go there when they don't wanna be there mm-hmm. and that you don't even know if they wanna stop drinking or, or whatever. Then you have the other people that do want to be there just wanna get up and leave. Yeah, and there's so a group of they have to look yeah, at this.
0: Yeah, I I would love to talk to him. See see if he'll talk to me. Um, I because yeah. I'm, I just called a couple of weeks ago, uh, I, like I told you, off the, um, off the air, about talking about the court ordering again, and I am talking to a nurse that's up in also Michigan, and she said there's a group of nurses that are suing um, for being forced the way that they are forced, which is much more punitively, like I was explaining, than just someone who got a DUI, um, or if someone says, you know, you better go, Harry, or I'm going to leave you or something. You know, they are... It's very, very strange once you really get into that. But I, you know, one of the other things, too, that I think, um, I mean, you really covered a lot of really good stuff, is that I I think that when you're in AA the way, and I can tell by the way you are, that you're a good person and sort of a very genuine person, and then so is this other guy who's done the study, and I myself with these other women, that there is this sort of... It's a one way of looking at AA as these meetings and there's really no one in charge and, oh, how did this happen? But when I did the research for the movie, when I looked at how very, very pointedly Marty Mann um, you know, promoted Alcoholics Anonymous and wanted it to be the end-all, to fix-all, it was not a – let's say it didn't start with drug court in 1989 – You know, it started with her coming to Hollywood and placing AA in movies to promote it in a way that was kind of sneaky, um, but very, very blatant, you know, propaganda, and that they were in, you know, the first prison in 1940-something, AA meetings, and that judges sat, you know, judges were heavy drinkers, lawyers, they were very stressed out, they drank a lot, doctors drank a lot, and that many of them joined AA, and everybody was like, oh, I mean, look, I was evangelical type of a member oh, everybody should join this is great, you know, look at this, these steps are for i't mm-hmm. uh, you know the what's that stupid phrase, and I think it's a you know a design for living, really a design- i mean, I'd rather go be a Catholic, you know, where people yeah. will you go in the door, and as many bad things have happened with the Catholic Church, I'd rather go to a place where nobody's slobbering all over me, wants to hug me, needs my phone number. You could go sit in the church and walk out, walk in and walk out, and you don't have how many meetings you're going to, how many meetings you're going to, or what are you doing. And this is the other thing that I was thinking about when you were talking of um, with the the way that, okay, so you have AA affected the culture, right, in America, and then you had the courts are now affecting AA. But here's the other part that has affected AA are rehabs. So I really started to see the effect of people not coming in directly from shaking at home. They all had been gone to rehabs. They were made to go to 90 and 9. Like that whole 90 and 9, nobody thought that. Like Bill Wilson and those people, they went to one meeting a week in somebody's house. Like that shit is nuts. And people have gotten really, what's the word, OCD-like
2: the mm-hmm. way that they
0: work, the program even. Like there were young women coming to our meetings talking about writing their uh, uh, second first and second and third steps with their sponsors and that she was going to help. We were like, write what? What are you talking about, write first, second? The only thing you're going to do is write a fourth. So they had changed because of 12-step facilitation. They have changed AA and that influence of rehab has spilled its way back into AA. And as the old timers like me and you, because if you're there at 21, you're there 33 years, 30, right, 32 mm-hmm. years. And that's They're a little long. really similar to my time. Mine was like 36. Yeah. You had to have seen the influence, or I did, um, of rehab. Um, you know, one lady came in and wanted to hire one of us. It was like her spiritual sober coach. <laughs> we were just like, yeah. what? <laughs> Well,
1: and, and that and that also goes into their eleventh tradition, where about the attraction rather than promotion, and uh, it, they said that you should have personal uh, anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. And the reason why they they said that is because when you get into all that press and the radio and the films, then you're muddling it up and you're diverting what you're really supposed to be doing. In other words, um, I don't know how to put this. Um, When, when you want to sell a film and it, and if AA is popular at the time and you put AA in your film, are you selling your film through AA or through the name of AA? And it's, it just gets confusing to people. It just really does, and yeah. so I know what you. Yeah. I know what you're trying to say when you said when all of a sudden people came out to Hollywood and started to put and films and and all that kind of stuff and and uh, is it? She the, went around the country around and the spoke at
0: Rotary meetings. She was a Rotary club speaker, and she met up with the IB head of IBM, who was a drunk. She helped him get sober. He gave her millions. And she had started the first the National Institute of Alcohol and Drug Education, which then became the National Institute of Alcohol and Drug Depend. Like you know, now it's the NI. I think the triple D. I mean, there's three of them, right? There's NIDA, and um, but one mm-hmm. of them roots are completely from Marty Mann, who used it as a front to promote AA. And um, I want to just give it out. I, I did have a pilot who maybe was going to call in, so I'm going to say this now if he's listening. Um, you, you can call in to 818 475 9211. 818 475 9211. Scott, if you want to call in now to talk about um, any kind of coercion, we're going to do a, another show where I'm going to especially talk about um, nurses, doctors, and pilots. Um and I don't see him calling in, we'll just give him another minute. So, um, for all the listeners out there, um, I have been talking to Angela coming all the way from Michigan and um we met uh like I said earlier, uh through Facebook, right? It wasn't through the blog. Is that how we initially met, Angela? Did you come on to just
2: well, directly through I, Facebook? I
1: actually saw your film and I called you about a year ago.
2: Oh when my I saw god. Film.
1: Yeah. Is the first time I, I and we emailed each other, and then we talked right. to each other on the phone. Right. And then I I was like on the border of wanting to leave, not sure if I was going to leave. I was yes, in between yes, I leaving now. and not leaving. I totally remember that. And, and I wasn't sure. I know that I wanted. There was a lot of reasons why I wanted to leave. There was a lot of things that I have seen, a lot of things that scared me. Yes. Um a lot of things that frustrated me. And uh-huh. you never said to leave or not to leave. You just said, Well, if you ever need to talk, I will be here. And I remember telling um my one friend, um, he passed away last year and he was um he was like a mentor to me. And he knew a lot of history of AA. He -hmm. was the one person that if I ever wanted to ask anything, and it's, you know, I know that you're going to be talking about the pilots, and and there's people want to say it's a spiritual program, but, you know, the roots of AA are from the Oxford group, and that was Mm -hmm. not a spiritual group. That was a religious group. Mm Uh-huh. And he knew all about it. Um, my my friend even had a original transcript of the of the um, twelve steps. He had a original. Yeah, it's pretty.
0: I think it was like six. Hold on, because we have Scott here. I don't. I want to give him a minute. Okay. Okay. Hold okay. on. Yeah, I, I, I'm so glad you jarred my memory because I remember talking to you. I was like, Oh my God, did I forget how we met? No, but now I I remember.
2: So here we go. Let's see. Hi Scott, are you there? Hello. Hi. Nice.
0: Hey, how you doing?
2: I don't mean to interrupt but continue on. Well no,
0: uh, this meet uh Angela meet Scott. This is Scott a, a pilot who uh was forced to go to Alcoholics Anonymous, forced to go to a rehab sober. He was actually alcohol free for fourteen months. months sober. Fourteen 15 months, months sober. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean if have you been listening to the whole show or I did have. you just jump in? Um so no, we I'm we have just show. a few yeah, so we have about six minutes, which is plenty of time because uh, I know you're very direct. So if, why don't you why don't you just pitch in anything you want to say here about court ordering and um, being forcing people? Well, the people court to ordering it. is
2: just it's wrong on both sides, and you've already said that it's wrong for the government to force people to go to a religious program, and they will say, oh, it's a spiritual program. I've gotten that feedback from a lot of people. Mm-hmm. and I'm not sure what the difference is between spiritual and religious because, as Angel has said, it's based on the Oxford group. Yeah. And from what I understand, they, they modified the whole religious aspect to a more general spiritual higher power nonsense um, to appease different religious groups so they could attract more people. Mm-hmm. I think that's correct. Um,
0: yeah, it is. They they made it. There was, I guess, a specific guy who, you know, at least that's what the story goes. That was very mm-hmm. was atheist. Um, but they did, uh, you know, try to soften it. And I do think that, you know, Bill was into some crazy stuff. You know, he was into um, the occult right. and into Ouija boards and kind of New Agey stuff. And um, right. you know, went off on it. But 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 its basis is an evangelical. Um, religious uh, cult, I mean, that, that group is uh, very, very strange. The, the Oxford movement and groups in which they still exist. I mean, what's her face? A really famous actress. Her father, she was raised in it. Glenn Close, there was a huge piece yes. in the Hollywood Reporter a couple of years ago about it, and I right. was really shocking um, that she never trusted well, her instincts. Mm-hmm.
2: I guess my problem with the whole court ordering is Regardless of your beliefs, the government has no right to tell someone how to believe. I don't care if you're Catholic or Jewish or Muslim. That's inappropriate for the government to do. All right. And that's exactly what they're doing. This is okay. America, and it's a free country and freedom of religion. And if you want to go sit in the basement church and be part of AA, well, that's your business. With all its faults.
0: I know. I think that one of the things that she, that Angela and this guy who just sent the report to New York is so uh-huh. good is that he's really sort of circled the word political in the preamble. And yeah. said, like, this interesting thing that every time, like, when you when you try to, like, connect the dots and you feel like you're going crazy because you know that they're right there in front of you. Mm-hmm. And, like, for me, it was a little bit about how people got brainwashed so quickly. Well, okay, so we figured that out. But this one that I knew that it was somewhere in the language, different things. And so, but when Angela said it on the phone to me, was it uh-huh. yesterday? And we were talking about that he said it's political. They have aligned them to be in the courts is totally political. It's a violation of all their tenants. It's a violation of their traditions and mm-hmm. tenants, and it's a violation Absolutely. of the First yeah. Amendment rights. That this is outrageous. And that if we, those of us who are ex-steppers and uh, as well as people who were never AA members like yourself, really considered yourself one and were forced there, there's millions of us, there's actually many AA members who want it stopped. That it's it's one thing that we can all agree on that we want it stopped.
2: Mm -hmm. And I think it's
0: important. You know what I mean, Angela and Scott? I think it's important.
1: There's different facets to this. It's not just that... They are violating people's um, right to believe what they want to believe. Um, But they're also being political, and they're going against their own traditions. And Mm -hmm. that is the reason why people that, what I can say is that there are people that really love the AA program, and they Mm -hmm. see what the courts are doing, and what they see is, it is ruining it, what they love about AA. I I can understand that. So so it's kind of like bringing in a whole nother facet to it that wasn't supposed to be brought in to begin with. And I'll go back to the very beginning of the story of Bill and Bob. When they try to promote their beliefs on mm -hmm. other alcoholics, It never worked. And they realized that back Mm -hmm. in the thirties. So why if it didn't work then would they ever think that it it would work now? It's not gonna work.
0: Well I think because Bob died Yeah, yeah. But I think that if because, you know, Bob died, you know, pretty he was much older and that when Mm -hmm. Bill started to take L S D in the fifties to cure his depression I mean, if he were alive today, that guy would be on antidepressants. At least he would have tried them. And right. he, you know, I mean, so we have 90 seconds left. So very quickly, you know, he kind of went off on a real serious tangent. And that's why they created the General Service Board, because they didn't want the world to find out that their fearless leader was taking what was considered to be a Schedule I drug now made illegal by President Nixon. And that mm-hmm. it was a, the hippie drug that this AA leader, you know, and, and AA wasn't doing so well then. It was not growing at all in the late 50s and in the 60s. It was the 70s where it had a big rush. Mm-hmm. So my, my point is, is that it was the people who came in after Angela, the people who mm-hmm. became obsessed w- w- with it, They thinking this is the answer to everything. Like, who's that guy? Newt Gainrich, you know, got on the TV and said, you know, that the big book, you know, saved. It was a great book for anybody that helped him with something other than alcohol. I don't know what that was, but Really? Really? Like, you know, uh, well, but don't it, it, send anybody there. Like, I think, we're, Scott, go ahead.
2: It, it's transformed from a fellowship, which is great. Get together, talk about your problems. If, you know, I have cancer and I meet with other cancer patients and we can talk about it, that's great support. But it's transitioned from a fellowship to a program. And they're forcing mm-hmm. programs onto people that don't want to be part of a program, mm-hmm. if that makes sense.
0: It does. Yes, well, I it want to thank you sense. both. For, 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 thanks for calling in, Scott. Um, we're out of okay. time. Um, thank you so much, thank Angela, you, for joining. God. You're welcome so much. And, again, I'm Monica Richardson. This is Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. And we're going to see you again really soon um, on another show. Thank you so much, everybody. Okay. okay. Thank you. Good night, Angela. Good night, Scott. Okay. Bye. Good night. Good night.